Amen. Good morning, Hope Church. Yes, indeed, God is faithful to us, and his faithfulness to us is great. New mercies we see every morning. Thank you for singing that song. Uh, I bring you greetings from a very far away land that is 20 minutes north of here. Um, It does seem like a foreign country, right? You know, Houston is so big. I heard someone say Houston is about two hours away from Houston. And so, uh, yeah, but I I, I love living in this city, and, and I'm happy that we are able to be brothers and sisters and that I can come and be here. As was said earlier this morning, I'm originally from Nigeria, and I live and work in Houston's historic Third Ward as a missionary. I serve there as a community chaplain, and it's, it's a joy to, to do that work. I have a wife and two kids, and unfortunately, they could not be here this morning because my wife has responsibilities at our, our church uh, over there uh, in the heart of Houston, and so she couldn't come. And uh, also, I'm driving a car that has no air conditioning, and so it, it didn't feel like a, a good idea for me to bring my kids here this morning in that car. But Pastor Greg will have the pleasure of joining me in that car because we're going out for lunch later this afternoon. So uh, please be in prayer for him that, uh, and for me that we are not dehydrated, but that God uh, keeps us safe as we, as we go out to lunch. But I, I really am thankful for the opportunity to be here. I'm also thankful for this church because uh, some of you may know and some of you may not, but I am currently waiting on a work visa. I'm applying to be a green card holder and a permanent uh, resident of the U.S., so I applied for that in November. supposed to take about six months to do that, but of course, the government moves at the pace that the government does, so I'm still waiting for that paperwork right now. And during that season, I can't legally receive a paycheck from my employer. And so uh, my family has been relying on the gifts of of friends, but also on churches like you. Uh, Hope Church sent us a gift um, late last year and early this year to kind of help our family with our expenses. So I want to thank you very much for doing that for my family. But please continue to pray that our paperwork comes through soon. Uh, so I can begin to work again. I'm still doing my work, but I'm doing it in a volunteer capacity. So please pray for our family that we continue to live well and thrive in this season. And, but also thank God. Thank God for how he's been faithful to our family in this season and how he continues to supply our every need according to his riches and glory through the generosity of our friends and family, both here in the U.S., but also around the world. All right. The... Before we kind of go into our passage for this morning, we will be reading from John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4 from verse 1 through 30. And because it's a long uh, kind of passage, what I'm going to do is actually just read the first section uh, that I want to speak from uh, together, and then throughout the message, we'll kind of go back and read the other sections uh, as we read. So if you are able to, with me this morning, please join me in standing to read God's word from John chapter 4. We'll start from verse 1 and go through verse 9 in this first section, and then we'll kind of continue reading other parts of the passage uh, throughout our time together. John chapter 4, and we'll start at verse 1. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. 
Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came and came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. Please join me in a word of prayer before uh, we listen to the preaching of God's word. Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us. And we pray, O oh God, that as we listen to what the Spirit has to say to us this morning, that we would be open to seeing who Jesus is and how he calls us to live our lives in response to that. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, Living Water, that is the title of our message today. Living Water. Jesus, Living Water. And as we were reading, I hope you were paying attention, because I'm actually going to give us a quiz right now. So, uh, there are four questions that I want to ask about the short uh, passage that we read this morning from John 4, 1 through 9. And feel free to open up your Bibles and look for the answers as we go through these questions. So the first question, uh, where was Jesus traveling from and traveling to? Judea to Galilee. That's correct. Uh, second question is, how was Jesus feeling in our story? Tired. That's right. Uh, what time of day was this at the well? At noon, right? About the sixth hour, which is the equivalent of, of noon, because Jewish people considered their days to start at 6 uh, a.m. Uh, and what did Jesus ask the Samaritan woman for? For water. All right, you guys are great students. You see? You passed the test. That's all that preaching is, really. It's asking questions and figuring out what the answers are. So all of you are, are preachers. Uh, but the next thing I want to show is, uh, I love this picture uh, of this scene. It, it, it's a picture from an African artist who paints this scene of a village with water. And, and the reason I love it is because it, it kind of points me back to a little bit of where I'm from. Right? Those scenes are very, very familiar in Nigerian towns, smaller towns, and villages where people go to draw water, right? Drawing water is a very social activity, so you're usually going to draw water with other people. Uh, drawing water is also something that people do um, to kind of get themselves ready for either the day or ready for the week. So typically, people are drawing water either early in the morning or late in the evening. Another reason why people draw water early in the morning or late in the evening is because, obviously, those times of days are cooler than at high noon. So it's kind of a big 
uh, question that we have about this woman, why she comes to the well, number one, alone. If drawing water is a social activity, why is she coming to the well alone? But also, why is she coming at this hour of day? Why is high noon the time that she chooses to come and draw water? Well, a couple people have have posted some theories about this. And one of them is that this woman probably doesn't want to interact with other people. We don't know exactly what it is, but there is something about her interactions with the people in her town where she wants to avoid being seen with others. And so she goes to draw water at a time of day where nobody else is going to draw water. So she can just do it in peace. She's tired of having to interact with others or the things that others think about her. So she goes to draw water in the middle of the day. Now in verse 9, she's having this interaction with Jesus, right? And as she's having this interaction with Jesus... There's a question that she asked him. You know, Jesus is at the well, and he asks the Samaritan woman for something. He asked her for a drink. Give me a drink. That is the question that he asked this Samaritan woman. Again, we see in this passage how Jesus is human. He has needs. He is thirsty. And he submits himself being at the help of another person, at the Samaritan woman. Give me a drink. Now, this shocks the Samaritan woman, right? And that's why she asks that question. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? So why is that question so important? Well, let's go to our next slide, and you'll see. Back in that day, you see where Jesus is traveling from and traveling to, right? And a lot of times, when people are traveling either from Galilee to Judea or Judea to Galilee, what they did was they wouldn't go through Samaria. They would actually travel all the way around Samaria to get to the location that they were going to. And why is that? Well, the reason is this. When people were taken into exile, one of the things that happened is that people from the kingdom where they were taken into exile to were resettled back into this region called Samaria. And so Samaria kind of became a place where people who had like mixed uh, religions but were also kind of mixed race lived And so people who were Jewish felt like they were not real Jews. The people who lived in Samaria were not real Jews, and they did not also worship the real, true God of Israel because they brought some of their influences from their own kingdoms and started to mix it with the religion of the people of Israel. And so Jews did not like the Samaritans. They did not like the Samaritans at all to the extent where they would go around the region of Samaria to get to where they wanted to. They did everything at all costs to avoid the Samaritans. And that's why Jesus' example here shocks the woman. It shocks her that a Jewish man would ask her, a Samaritan woman, for help. It shocks her that a Jewish man would see the humanity in her, a Samaritan woman, 
It shocks her that a Jewish man who is sitting at this well would humanize her and want to actually have a conversation with her. And so she asks that question, how is it that you, a Jewish man, and I asked me, a Samaritan, for a drink? You see, in this unlikely interaction between a Jewish male and a Samaritan woman, Jesus chooses to take on the form of a servant. He humanizes the woman, he humbles himself, and chooses to receive from her, but also offer her what her soul desperately needs. He chooses to humanize her, to humble himself, and to ask for his needs from this woman, but to also see far beyond her physical needs to the greater spiritual need that she has. The need to be seen, the need to be humanized, the need to have somebody to actually have a conversation because everybody else in her town has refused to have that conversation with her. Jesus sits down with this Samaritan woman and he says, our differences are not going to keep me from bringing you to a place where your spiritual needs are fully met. That is the example that Jesus gives us in the passage today. So he sits down with this Samaritan woman. He asks her questions. He sits down with this Samaritan woman. He humanizes her. He sits down with her, doesn't treat her the way that the rest of the world and the rest of her village treats her. He sits down and treats her the way that God would treat her. Let's go on and keep reading. John chapter 4, verse 10 through 18. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw this water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a well of spring water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty Or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So again, Jesus continues to go on in conversation with this woman. And he tells her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. So here we have this promise. Jesus looking beyond the physical need to a greater spiritual need that this woman has. He knows that she is searching for something. She is searching for satisfaction. She is searching for purpose. She is searching for wholeness. But she's searching for all those things in all the wrong places. And he says to her, there is living water that I have 
And everyone who drinks of this living water that I have will never thirst again. He sees beyond her physical needs and points to a deeper, eternal need that can only be satisfied in him. So I have a question for you this morning. What are you searching for in this life that can only be satisfied in Jesus? What is it that you search for? For meaning, for significance, for purpose, searching for answers, for wisdom, for knowledge? All of those things can be found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus shows us that everything else that we search for, when we search for that meaning and significance in temporal things, will never satisfy us the way that he does. Because the water of this world will run dry. The water of the wells of this world will always run dry. But the water that Jesus Christ gives springs up like a well up to eternal life for anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and searches to find that meaning and that significance and that purpose in Christ alone. Jesus Christ presents himself as living water that can fill both our spiritual and eternal needs and also our temporal and earthly needs as well. A spring of living water. Now, of course, that is something that this woman latches onto because she's like, uh-oh, wait, a spring of living water? You mean you can give me water that never runs dry? Giving me water that never runs dry so I don't have to wake up and come out in the heat of this afternoon day to draw water from this well? You mean you can give me water so that I can sit in my house? And remember, this is before indoor plumbing. And just turn that faucet on and the water comes out. Give me this water because I do not want to be thirsty again and I do not want to have to come out here to this well, to this place of my shame, to this place where I am constantly faced with everything that is bad about who I am, everything that I have faced that brings me shame, that brings me guilt, that forces me to look to my broken past. Give me this living water. I want this living water. And Jesus' response to her is that he is the one that is this living water. Now, it's curious to me that Jesus asked her that question, right? After she is talking about how she wants to not have to come back to this well, he asked her a question that just doesn't seem to fit, right? She's like, give me water, I don't want to come back to this well. And he tells her, well, go call your husband. Go call your husband. And I believe the reason he asked her that question is because he knows that is where she has been searching for living water. She has been searching for living water in relationships. Relationships that are broken, relationships that never pan out, relationships that never last. Husbands who promise to love her till death do them part, but then end up walking out the door on her. This woman has experienced these broken relationships. And time and time again, she keeps going back thinking, you know what, maybe that husband was just the wrong type. He just wasn't from a good family. He ate too much chips. Right? But Jesus says to her, these husbands that you keep going back to, you're trying to find living water, 
in things that are only temporary. You're trying to find eternal life in things that will die and decay here on earth. And so he tells her, go call your husband in response to her request for living water. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you are right. You have had five. And the one that you are with is not your husband. In essence, telling her, you have had all these moments where you've tried to find living water in something else, in another man, in a different man. But you will not find those in those men. You will find them in the man, Jesus Christ, who is living water, who will give you water that never runs dry. What is it in your life that you keep running back to, hoping to find living water that satisfies your soul? What is it that you keep running back to? And what are some ways that Jesus Christ only can be your source of satisfaction and refreshing and wholeness? Living water. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus says, I know, you've had five. And the man you're currently with, you have searched for living water in that man, but he will not satisfy you. Only I, the Son of God, will satisfy your thirst. Jesus sees beyond the woman's earthly needs, and she shows us that her earthly needs and her eternal needs can only be met in him. Now let's move on and read another section. And in this section, Jesus moves from talking about living water, and him and the woman have a conversation about worship. Anita, you're going to like this section, right? They're having a conversation about worship. So John chapter 4, verse 19 through 30. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. And just then His disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with this woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So after the conversation, redirecting this woman and showing her that everything that she's been looking for and trying to find in another husband, and just a better husband, She can only find in Jesus Christ the eternal well of living water. Jesus now enters into a theological conversation with her about worship. 
Now, for us, that might not seem like such a big deal. But again, understanding the context in which this conversation is happening, right? Back in that day, a lot of schools were not open to women. Back in that time, you did not have any sort of lectures that were open, especially theological lectures about worship to women of that day. But Jesus, the teacher, says, I've got something to teach you about worship. Let's have a conversation about worship. Let me hear what you think about this. And let me, as a teacher, help to shape and guide your theology about worship. Not in a way that is condescending to you, but in a way that shows you what true worship really is. In a way that shows you that God is calling you into a life of adoration of who He is, And what he has done. So Jesus opens up that conversation with the woman. And in there, there are a few things that he says. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. God is spirit and those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? They had their own version of worship wars back then, right? It wasn't about like contemporary music versus hymns or if the carpet in the sanctuary should be green or blue. The wars that they had were about place. What is the right place to worship God? Should we worship God on the mountain? Because that's where the Ten Commandments were given. That's a holy site. That place is where you are closest to God. The Samaritans believed that view. Or should we worship God in the temple? The temple, this beautifully crafted building that had motifs of what heaven would look like and created a space where people could bring their sacrifices of worship and praise to God. Was that the right place to worship? And Jesus tells her, all of that is irrelevant. We've been wasting thousands of years having this argument about where we worship when truly all that God wants to know is who you worship and how you worship. Who do you worship? We worship the Father. The Father, the God of heaven and earth. The one who created everything out of nothing, and even when we sinned, continues to pursue us and chase us with his everlasting love and his unyielding grace. That is who our worship is directed to. We do not worship things that are created. We do not worship mountains or temples that have been built by human hands. But we worship the God of the universe who is worthy of our worship and who can handle all the adoration and love that we pour out on Him. And the second thing, how we worship. Our worship must be sincere. Our worship must be true. Our worship must be inspired by the Holy Spirit. We must worship in a way that is moved by the Spirit of God, who helps us to see all truth in Jesus Christ, but also unites us in brotherhood and sisterhood with one another. That is the work of the Spirit. And so when we worship and we cast other people out, when we worship and we're not bringing others into our spaces where they can experience worship of the one true God, our Father in heaven, Jesus says that's not true worship. When we worship in ways that are exclusive, that keep the Samaritans out, 
and only invite the Jews in. Jesus says, that is not true worship. When we worship in ways that confine our praise and adoration of God only to a few hours on a certain day, in a certain place, Jesus says, that is not true worship. Worship is defined not by the place. Worship is defined not by who is doing the worshiping. Worship is defined by who is getting the worship and by how that worship is being done. We worship the Father, our God, and we worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, at this time, like, the woman's head is just like, right? She's like, man, this is, this is some good stuff. And so she, she looks at Jesus and she's like, okay, like, I, I know there, there's someone who's coming and, and what you're saying is good, but I, I think we're going to have to wait for, like, someone who's coming to teach us all things. His name is the Christ and his name is the Messiah because, yeah, right now you're, you're, you're saying some really good stuff, but let's wait for the Christ to come to teach us all of these things. And Jesus responds to her with some simple words. I, the one who is speaking to you, am he. I am the Savior. I am the Anointed One. I am the living water. I am the one that the world has been waiting for. I, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. When Jesus says those words to us in the pages of Scripture or in the songs that we sing or in the wise counsel of an elder or friend, I, the one who am speaking to you, am he. When we hear and respond And say, yes, Jesus, you are the one who speaks truth. You are the one who speaks hope. You are the one who speaks life. I, the one who is speaking to you, am he. May we learn to recognize the voice of Jesus as he declares those words to us every day in the verses of scripture we read or in the songs that we sing, that he is the living water, that he is the anointed one, that he is the Christ who is coming to teach us all things, to rescue us from our sins, and to rule and reign with righteousness and justice. I, the one speaking to you, am he. And when Jesus says those words to us, and when they truly take root in our hearts and in our lives and in our souls, there is only one response, which is going out and sharing that with other people. We see this as the woman goes out into the town where she is afraid of the people. Remember, she always goes out to fetch her water at noon, not in the morning, not at night when everyone else goes. She does not want to be associated with these people. She does not want the shame of them saying, there she goes again, the woman with five husbands who's currently living with another one who is not her husband. But because Jesus speaks those words to her and says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Her feet are quickened to go back to the places where she does not want to be. To say to everyone in the town that has judged her, to everyone in the town that has looked at her funny, to say to them, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. This, could this be the Christ? Come with me and see someone who has taught me everything that I ever did and still loved me 
still saw me, still valued me, humbled himself to the point of having this conversation with me. Could this be the Christ? That is the way we do evangelism. We do not come and call people and point them to ourselves. We call people and say to them, just like this woman did, come and see the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who has shown me everything that I've ever done and loved me anyway. Could this be the Christ? Come and see for yourself. Come and see this person who has shown me water, living water, that has quenched all my soul's desires, that has pointed me in a different direction when I was going back to another husband and another husband trying to find something that satisfied my soul. Come and see a man who has shown me living water that satisfies my soul beyond anything that I could ever ask or dream. Come and see him. Come and see Jesus. Because I believe that if you see Jesus and if you interact with Jesus in the same way that I interacted with him at the well, maybe he will give you living water that will quench your thirst. Come and see this man who taught me everything that I ever known. This man who saw beyond my sin and saw the righteousness that he would give to me. Come and see this man and rest in him. Be refreshed by him. Come and drink living water so that your soul will never thirst again. And so as we respond to Jesus Christ, we see that he is the one who is worthy of all of our trusts. He is the one who is worthy of all our devotion. He is the one who can satisfy all of our needs. And we respond by giving him our lives in grateful obedience to spread that same message that says, come, come and see the one who has told me everything that I've ever done. Come and see the Christ. Come and follow him. Come and give him your life and give him your trust and give him all of you. Because when you do that, he will turn you into a well of living water and a spring that brings life to everywhere that you go. So it is my prayer this morning that as you come to see Jesus, that you would see that he is the fulfillment of all of your soul's desires. And in response, that you would reach out to your friends and your neighbors and even people who don't like you and who you don't like and say, come and see the one who is worth giving my life, my trust, my soul, and everything I have to. I bring you this message in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. living water that satisfies our souls. God, we pray that we would not hold back, that we would not hang on to our fears and our insecurities, but that we would be open to finding living water, not in the places that we've always looked, 
but only in Jesus Christ. So Jesus, today we give you all of who we are. Take all our lives, take all our trust, and make something beautiful that brings life and refreshing to this world. In Jesus' name, amen.